0: Hey, good morning, welcome to Westbridge Church. My name's Jeremiah, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. Uh, hello to those of you joining us in our online campus and in our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option if you do have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. Uh, and we are in week three of a series called Faith Forward. And uh, man, it's been fun. We're exploring a letter that James, the brother of Jesus, uh, wrote to followers of Jesus spread across the Roman Empire. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. Uh, really, this whole idea around this whole letter is James saying this is what it looks like to move your faith Forward. In other words, uh, this is what it looks like to really uh, give uh, legs to your faith, to really have it uh, have traction in your life. And so, we looked at the very first week: uh, a, a faith that isn't troubled by troubles. We said, uh, you know, sometimes troubles come our way. And we don't look for them, they just come our way. And how do we navigate that as followers of Jesus? And then uh, last week, we looked at uh, a faith that helps us resist temptation. And I want to encourage you, if you missed either of those weeks, go back and check those out. But one of the things that you, is unique about the letter that James writes uh, to followers of Jesus is that he pulls from a couple of primary sources— Uh, One is he pulls from his brother, Jesus, and Jesus' teaching, uh, primarily in his Sermon on the Mount, you hear James kind of quoting this, it pops up a lot uh, throughout this short letter, Uh, uh, whether it was possible that James was there and he heard some of these things firsthand, or he read some of them in some of the eyewitness accounts, but... The teachings of Jesus, the primary teachings of Jesus, keep popping up in sort of paraphrased ways uh, in this letter of James. And then the other source that he pulls from is uh, sort of uh, this ancient Jewish book of Proverbs. And so you find James actually kind of bouncing around, kind of like Proverbs does. Uh, In fact, sometimes James has been referred to by scholars as the Proverbs of the New Testament because uh, it's this... Kind of book that doesn't have a, a real straight kind of uh, through line. It's really kind of bounces around and uh, kind of meanders from topic to topic. And it's almost like James goes, oh, by the way, and he thinks about something. And then he's like, oh, and let me tell you about this. And, and he kind of bounces around and gives us different kind of wisdom, dropping bits of wisdom throughout this letter to his readers. So keep that in tra- uh, kind of in the back of your mind as we walk through today's topic. And let me ask you this uh, question. What is the most important aspect of your life? What's the most important aspect of your life? And now think about it, if right now you had to give an answer, what is the most important aspect of your life? My guess is that you would not uh, include, you know, the new cell phone with three cameras on it. It's awesome. It probably wouldn't be the most important aspect of your life. I don't think that would even make the list. It's probably not your favorite TV show, whatever you happen to be binge watching right now, right? Uh, Or social media, uh, you know, how much time you spent on that this week. If, if you were to think about what's the most important aspect of your life, it's not the amount of time that you've spent on the internet. It's probably not your job or your career. Uh, the most important aspect of your life, it's probably not even the, late, the last great experience that you had. Whether that was an amazing vacation, in an exotic place, or uh, an incredible concert that you went to. The truth is, if you were really honest about it, I bet you we would all eventually arrive at the exact same place. The most important aspect of our lives is Relationships. It's people. It's the people that we are connected with. At some level, all of us would respond, relationships that we share are the most important aspect of our lives. The bond that we have with parents, with our spouse, with our kids, the friendships that we've developed. Those are the things that really matter at the end of the day. And that's honestly why we talk about this all the time, why groups are so important here at Westbridge Church. That's why we're constantly saying, man, you should be a part of a group. You should get into a group. This is something that will really benefit you. This is something that will really help you because uh, if relationships are such an important part of our lives, it makes sense that we should do something to intentionally build relationships with people who are part of our church family. And so I wanna encourage you again, man, it's still time to jump into a group and we're always gonna be starting new groups and working on those things because we wanna create environments that make it easy for you because this is one of the most important aspects of your life. But do you know why so many of us keep relationships at arm's distance? Why sometimes we're tempted to withdraw from relationships, why sometimes we're tempted to kind of keep people at an arm's distance and maybe let people into a certain point, but no further? Uh, You know, that that last 10%, we, we don't really let people in and see that part. It's because all of us, at one point or another, have been burned by community gone sideways. Somewhere along the way, all of us have some type of experience with someone where the relationship ended badly or community went awry and we just have this experience in our minds and so it causes us to kind of be hesitant to let people in to see all of us and uh you know I don't want to go through that again so we don't risk community because community can get very very messy isn't that it's just a fact And James is going to poke at his readers in this letter, and he's going to kind of nudge you and I as well. And he's going to talk about and remind us relationships matter, and they have a a part to play in making sure we have a part to play in making sure that they're healthy. And So James borrows from his brother Jesus. In fact, at one point, this is what Jesus said. Uh, He's uh, responding to some questions to a crowd, and Jesus actually says this. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the prophets, all the demands of the prophets, are based on these two commandments. So this is Jesus talking to a Jewish audience. They're very familiar with what they call the law and the prophets. This is their whole governing set of writings. And Jesus says, look, if you want to keep all of the demands of the law and the prophets, here's what you do. You love God well, and you love others well. And if you do that, if you love God with all you got, and you love others the way that you love yourself, you'll keep all the demands of all the writings in the law and the prophets. And so then... James actually borrows from that. And at some point in his life, James had heard this or he had read it. And so James, in writing this letter, he says something very, very similar. In fact, he kind of paraphrases his brother Jesus. He says this, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I find this very fascinating that James doesn't say, love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. He just skips right to love your neighbor as yourself. The implication is, the way that you love God is by how well you love the people that God's put in your life. You can't can't express this devotion to God, this love for God, if you're not loving well the people that he has put into your life. And so James jumps straight into love your neighbor. I can't say that I love God if I'm not loving well the person next to me. And what you'll notice is that James doesn't give us an escape clause. We wish he would. It'd be a lot easier because people often disappoint you or annoy you or disagree with you or cancel you. But James doesn't say, hey, uh, love, the, the royal law is found in the scriptures is love your neighbor as yourself, dot, 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 unless fill in the blank. He doesn't say that. In fact, he drills down it a little further. And in chapter four, and this is where we get this jumping around a little bit because we're going to look at chapter four and it's going to inform our teaching around chapter two. But in chapter 4, he kind of uh, gives us, because it's kind of this Proverbs thing that James does. He gives us some wisdom to help us inform our relationships. In fact, here's mainly what he teaches is this. My problem with others is often a problem within. My problem with others, the relationship problem that I have with other people, is usually a problem that I have with myself, if I'm being honest Right? And as a parent, every once in a while, uh, I have those situations and those moments where I hear arguing coming from the back of the vehicle. And, you know, I, there's kids going, dad, you know, he started it and I was first. And can you tell him to stop drinking from my water bottle? And, you know, uh, he, all these kinds of things. And I, I do what any good parent would do in that situation. I ignore them. I just keep driving. Or uh, finally, I speak up and I say, guys, When I was your age, I would constantly ask my brothers and sisters, how can I serve you? What is your preference? (laughs) And that's kind of how they respond as well, yeah. And I I could stop the car and I could like, you know, reach my arm back and bring swift justice in that situation. But uh, I honestly just think to myself, is this that big of a deal? Like, can you just work this out? Can you guys just get along? Like, I don't understand. Like, we have plenty of water bottles. We You know, can we just figure this out? Can you guys just work this out together? Because from my perspective, they should be able to just work it out on their own. But there's a restlessness that lies beneath the surface. There's something going on internally, isn't there? And while they're, they're busy trying to fix it externally, there's actually something going on inside. And I know that there's something lurking deep beneath the surface that's causing this rift in their relationship currently. And James, the brother of Jesus, describes this dynamic perfectly. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. He says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? These these two words are so important, among and within. We think there's a problem among us, but there's actually a problem, James says, within you. It actually has a lot more to do with you. It's more within than among. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. And this is such an accurate depiction. James says, you you know what's going on here? You didn't get your way. At the end of the day, I mean, think about this. This is so profound. He just goes, here's the bottom line. You didn't get what you wanted. That's what's going on. You wanted something. You didn't get it, and so now you're going to do everything you can to extract whatever you believe is owed to you. In fact, when you boil down almost every conflict in almost every relationship, you could honestly boil it down to this. I didn't get my way. Think about that. The problem isn't them, it's you. Now, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because uh, my kids have never come up to me after an incident of conflict and said, you know what, Dad, I've realized the issue is that I just didn't get my way. No one's ever said that in our house, right? But isn't that the reality? I didn't get my way. I want what they have. I, I, they owe me an apology. They owe that to me. I deserve that. I thought they would make me happy, and it didn't work out. I thought that deal would turn out better. I thought I would be further along in my career. I thought this would happen. I thought that would happen, and I didn't get my way. And so I will do whatever it takes to extract whatever I believe is owed to me. And so in our effort to sort of get that, we climb over others, we hurt others in the process, we, we elevate ourselves in an attempt to get what we think we want in life. And James says, isn't that what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you, is that there's actually something going on within you? Like, could you just be honest and admit you didn't get your way? And then James says, there's a better way. Because whenever we're in conflict with someone, whenever, whenever we've been disrupted by community gone sideways. Whenever we are tempted to hold someone at arm's distance because we see them through a certain lens. James says there's a better way. And, and honestly, it's because we want exactly what they want. We all want the same thing. The person that we're having a conflict with, the person that we're struggling with relationally, we all want the exact same thing. Both parties actually want the exact same thing. And it's this. See, all of us want to be heard and understood. All of us. You want to be heard and understood. I want to be heard and understood. Uh, And I I actually, more than just being heard, I want people to understand. More than just listening, I, I want them to understand. I want you to listen to me and not just hear what I'm saying. I want you to actually understand where I'm coming from. And you want the same thing as well. You want the same thing from others. And in conflict, we're saying to each other, we may not agree, but you have to listen to me. You have to at least listen. We might not agree on how to parent, we may never agree on this decision at work, or we may never agree on what I should major in. We may never agree on whether he's right for me or she's right for me. We may never agree, but at least you listened to me. And, and if, if you have something to say, at least say something that lets me know that you heard me, because I can't hear you until I, I feel like you've heard me. And, and you can't really hear me until I, I feel like I've heard you. We've got to listen. Now, here's what's amazing about this. James actually talks about this in James chapter 2. This is a a people issue. This isn't a first century issue. It's not, you know, this affects all of us today. Jesus writes, or James, the brother of Jesus, writes about this 2,000 years ago, and yet it's still so incredibly practical. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just exploring what following Jesus looks like, you picked a great week to be here, you picked a great week to tune in, because you can actually take what we're going to talk about today and apply it to your life. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this will make your relationships better. Your relationships will improve if you just put this into practice. Now remember, James is the brother of Jesus, and yet he isn't found in any of the narratives of Jesus' life, because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But after the resurrection, he believed, and he became known as James the Just. And so in this letter, he addresses this tension of wanting to be heard and understood. So here's what he says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And that word, uh, you must all, that's in the Greek, that's a word that means all means everybody be quick to listen slow to speak quick to listen slow to speak now I know what you're thinking you're thinking about the person in your life who really needs to hear this like oh man this would be so good for so and so you know like man if only they were here I'm gonna send them this link be quick to listen and slow to speak be quick to listen and slow to speak be quick to listen slow to speak Can I tell you, if we stopped right now and we never said another word and you just put that into practice, your relationships would probably improve hundred percent. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Your relationships, if both parties did this, if you're married and and you just went, okay, we're both just going to be quick to listen and slow to speak, your marriage would improve. If we did nothing else, if we talked about nothing else, if you just put this one simple thing into practice. Think about how that would impact your marriage. Think about if you did this in parenting. Think about how this would impact your kids. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Imagine if both parties decided we're going to do this. Everyone should be quick to listen, which doesn't make any sense, does it? How, are you, how can you listen quickly? How can you be quick to listen, right? How do you speed up hearing? And the reason that he uses these two words, quick to listen, and he, he puts them together like this, is because uh, he's trying to make a very important point. And here's what he's saying. See, being quick to listen is an issue of priority. Being quick to listen is about the order of things. It's about uh, how we listen before we speak. The number one thing in terms of sequence, the most important thing you can do relationally is to be quick to listen. Make it first. Make it your practice to listen before you speak, which, if we're honest, is exactly what we want other people to do for us. Isn't that what we want others to do? We want them to listen before they speak. James is saying, you know how Jesus would say things like, uh, what, whatever you want other people to do, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. Is you, you remember that? This is one of those things. You want others to listen to you? Yeah. You want to be heard and understood? Yeah. Then listen to others before you speak. And be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And if you have anything to say, Be curious if there's something that you want to say don't be waiting for them to finish so that you can get to your story right you ever been in that conversation and you're just like you can just tell they're just like okay now it's my turn and james says look be curious seek to understand your responsibility is to be quick to listen slow to speak and the longer they speak the quicker you listen and the more you listen the more you learn and if you're a parent or if you're planning on being a parent someday, uh, what I wouldn't give for my kids to learn this principle, quick to listen, slow to speak. In fact, if you're in high school, the next time that your mom or your dad is talking to you and they're going on and on, they're giving you their wisdom, right, that they're imparting to you and you're just like, you're tempted to argue because you want to argue and you want to fight. Instead, here's what I would suggest if you're a teenager. I would suggest that you just say this, Dad, Mom, I I don't understand, but I really want to understand. Could you just say it in a different way so help me understand? Your parents will pass out. They won't know what to do with you. They're well, like, what? This is crazy. Nobody does that because what do we do? We argue and we argue and we argue. Let me make my point. Let me help you understand why I'm right. And if you can just hit pause and if you can be curious and be quick to listen, slow to speak, I can tell you my worst parenting moments through the years have come when I was quick to speak and slow to listen. Because when you're quick to speak and slow to listen, as a parent, I end up reacting to my kids rather than responding. And rather than guiding them and rather than helping them and instructing them and and teaching them, I just react because I was quick to speak and slow to listen. And the times in my kid's life where I've had to go back over and over again and say, man, I apologize. I reacted, please forgive me. Those are the times that I was quick to speak and slow to listen. Quick to speak, slow to listen, in my worst parenting moments. And, I, you know, and we do this. Any of us who have authority are tempted to do this. We, we want to, you know, I've got the wisdom bucket, okay? And I, I've got that over my kids, and I've got the experience bucket, and I've got the age bucket, and, and I've got the insight bucket, right? And, and like you don't even have frontal lobe development yet, okay? So listen. I'm going to dump all my wisdom on you. So you stop talking. I'm going to give you all of my wisdom. I'm going to lecture you. I'm going to give you all my experience and all of my insight, and I'm going to dump it all on you. Hey, where are you going? I I don't know why my kids don't want to hang out with me. I'm just constantly giving them all this incredible wisdom. Parents, husbands, wives, you need to know this. You might be right, but you can write the person that you love right out of relationship. You can write your best employee right out the front door. You can be right and be right and be right, and you will write them right out of your life because I don't want to be lectured. I want to be heard and understood. And, and I'm willing to be open to your ideas if for a moment I think that you're willing to be open to what I'm saying. And if for a moment I think that you've heard me and that you understand where I'm coming from, even if we don't agree, at least I know that, that I was heard and understood. And you know this is true because you've watched your teenager walk away with glazed eyes, right? And you're thinking, I don't understand. I know I'm right. I know I'm giving them good advice. Why won't they listen to me? Because you were quick to speak and slow to listen to them. And James would say, you're not quick to listen, you're quick to speak. You want to enhance relationship? You want to improve that relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your uh, boss, with your employees, with your neighbors? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he says this next, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Slow to become angry is both a decision and a result. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we're quick to listen, if we're slow to speak, you are less likely to be angry. It will guard your heart against frustration with that other individual because now you have seen the world through their eyes. Because now you have developed a perspective, because you were quick to listen and slow to speak, you have developed a perspective that you didn't have before. Because you were curious, because you asked questions, because you understand where they're coming from, even if you don't agree you now have a much better perspective on where that person is coming from, and it helps you not get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So James has this formula. If you will listen, if you'll try to understand, and only speak so that you can better understand, you will be less frustrated, and you will be less angry with that individual or with that relationship because you will have gained the perspective of seeing the world through their eyes. In other words, the longer you listen, The more you learn, the less angry you become. Now here's how this works, and you'll you'll probably, here's why this works. You'll probably wanna write this down. Uh, It's not on your outline, but it's incredibly deep, and I, I would encourage you to write it down. Here we go. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. I'm just gonna give you a minute to catch your breath. I worked on that all week. Everything everyone does makes sense to them. Everything you do makes sense to you, and everything I do makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. There's a reason why I do what I do, just like you have a reason why you do what you do. And it goes beyond that. Everyone, uh, everything that everyone does makes perfect sense to them. Everything that everyone says makes perfect sense to them. Everything everyone believes makes perfect sense to them. That's why they believe it. Right? And so that's why if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're never going to feel judgment. You're never going to feel shamed here at Westbridge because if you have determined that your belief system is, I can't put my trust in this Jesus, I trust that you probably have a very good reason for that. It perfectly makes sense to you. And I trust that. There's a reason. You probably have a very good reason for not yet putting your trust in Jesus. So I'm never going to shame you. Or you're never going to feel judged. And when we catch ourselves saying things like, well, I don't know why they would do that. You ever said that? I don't know why they would say that. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would believe that. What is the, the, the key phrase there? I don't know. I don't know. So who needs the education? The person who doesn't know why they would do or say or believe that. Well, I would rather just be critical. Well, sure, that's a lot more fun. But here's the deal. Everyone has a perfectly good reason for what they do, for what they say, for what they believe. And just like you have a perfectly good reason as well. And if I find myself asking, why would my son do that? Why would my daughter do that? Why, why would my friend do that? Why would my spouse do that? Why would they do that? Why would they say that? James says the best thing that you can do would be not to be quick to speak and slow to listen, but to be quick to listen, be slow to speak, It will help you become slow to get angry. Why not, James says, why would my wife believe that? Why would my neighbor or coworker do that? What's required in that situation is not a declaration. It's not a mini sermon. It's not a lecture. It's not drive-by guiltings, right? What is required, James says, is questions, curiosity. I've got an idea. Why not be quick to listen and slow to speak? In other words, why not ask them? Why not just find out why they do that or why they say that or why they believe that? Why not have a conversation? Why not ask a question and then just be quiet and be quick to listen? Because the more you know someone's story and the more you know their perspective, even if you don't agree, you can see the world through their eyes. And it builds up relationship rather than tears it down. And you may not see eye to eye, but you won't damage relationship. In fact, James continues in the next verse, he says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. He he says, you're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's going to be slow to get angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger, frustration with that other person, anger that comes from talking all the time and trying to get them to understand me without seeking to understand them, being quick to speak and being slow to listen, That type of anger, human anger and frustration, does not produce, it does not cultivate the rightness that God desires. Righteousness is just a word for rightness, right? In other words, there is your agenda, and there's their agenda, and then there's God's agenda. There's three things at work, and as long as you're trying to be right and convince them that you're right, then that's your agenda. That's your rightness. And they're trying to convince you of their rightness. And you're trying to connect your rightness to your words and make sure that they understand, okay, my rightness. And the other person is trying to connect their rightness to their words. And then God has his agenda. And what's God's agenda? See, your anger and your frustration and your lack of understanding for the other person and, and your efforts to convince them of your rightness, James says it's actually getting in the way of God's rightness. What God is trying to accomplish, the righteousness of God or the rightness of God. Neither of your rights are right. And here's why. See, we want to be right at each other. God wants us to be right with each other. We want to be right at each other. God wants us to be right with each other. Big, big, big difference. I want you to throw up your hands and say, You're right. And you want me to throw up my hands and say, You're right. And I want you to understand my rightness and, I, and you want me to understand your rightness and I want to be right at you and you want to be right at me. When you're in a relationship with someone and you win an argument, do you actually win anything? No. I mean, you win the argument and you're like, yes, I won the argument. Hey, where'd she go? Yes, I'm right. You won the argument and you lost relationship. How's it feel to be right? Hope that feels Good. And James is talking primarily to followers of Jesus and he's reminding them and he's reminding us that's not what God wants. That's not why God came. God doesn't take sides. He doesn't want you to be right at each other. He wants you to be right with each other. Reconciled. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't come to be right, even though he was right. That could have been the whole mission. That would have only taken 30 minutes. He just gathers everyone together and says, all right, guys, I'm right, you're wrong, and here's why, right? Mic drop, boom, back to heaven. That's it. But he didn't do that. He didn't come to be right. He came to reconcile us to God and to each other. And so he says to you and me, quit being right at each other and start being right with each other and start working to keep things right with each other. All right, well, how do we do that? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And then James continues. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Humbly accept it. Get rid of the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word that God's planted. Now, this word uh, for "get rid of" this phrase "get rid of" is the opposite phrase that's often used uh, by the Apostle Paul in some of his writings, where he says to clothe yourself with. And this is this is a phrase that means the exact opposite of that. It's to take off in the same way that you take off a coat. In the same way that you take off your clothes at the end of the day, James is saying in the same way that you take your coat off, take off evil desires, which in this context is interpreted as self-righteousness or self-rightness. That that self-rightness, it's not the rightness that God desires. It's the rightness that you desire. It's a self-rightness or a self-righteousness. So you're walking around with an I'm right jacket on, and you need to take that off because it's causing you to think evil things about the other person. It's causing you to get angry and to get frustrated and you're not seeing the world through their perspective. And isn't that true? When you see evil taking place in our world and violence and pain and hatred and all these things taking place that people inflict on one another, it's because we're right and they're wrong. And, and so we refuse to take off that coat of self-rightness. I'm right and you're wrong. And because I'm in the position of right, it gives me the power to do what I want to do. Because you're wrong. So I can justify being mean. I can justify being rude. I can justify unloving actions. I can justify because of my self-rightness. I can justify my frustration because you're wrong. And when you're in the middle of that conflict and you realize it's escalating and you're convinced that you're right, hit pause. James says, take off the coat of self-rightness, the coat of self-righteousness, because you know where it leads. Because even if you win in the end, you win the argument, you lose the relationship. That is not what God desires. Instead, James says, humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart. Take off self-rightness and put on humility. And this is humility. Humility is this. Humility says we are more important than me. I I feel that I'm right, but I want to seek to understand where you're coming from because I'd rather be right with you than be right at you. I'd rather remove the coat of self-rightness And I'd rather be right in relationship with you than to just be right. And James says, if you're a follower of Jesus, this idea has been planted in your heart. This word, this idea of humility, it's already been planted in your heart. James says, you already know how this works because it's exactly what God did for you. It's the same thing God did. God sent his son into the world for you. He put you ahead of himself. So you know how this works. Being right with you was more important to God than simply being right. And he's asking you to simply extend it to other people the same thing that he has extended to you. Step back into that basic truth that you embraced when you started following Jesus and recognize God put you ahead of himself and do the same thing for others. And then he says it has the power to save your soul it has the power to save that part of you that will last forever it has the power to redeem relationships with your spouse your son your daughter your coworkers your neighbors your friends your family members you've got to accept and step back into what caused you to start following Jesus to begin with it was because Jesus put you ahead of himself and he put being right with you ahead of just being right so let's put it all together here's what he says understand this my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be, all meaning everyone, right, all, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires or the rightness that God desires. God doesn't want us to be right at each other. He wants us to be right with each other. That's what he desires. So get rid of, take off, like, the, like a coat, the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls." This is so practical it's so powerful don't settle for being right instead make sure you work to make things right and keep things right with one another and for those of you who are still trying to figure out okay should i follow jesus is following jesus something that's in the cards for me i mean i'm exploring this thing i'm exploring what faith is but i'm just wondering i'm not really a jesus person or i'm not really a church person but you know You're kind of coming back, you're exploring, and you've got some questions. I just want to leave you with this thought before we close. I want you to think about this. Quick to listen and slow to speak is exactly the way that Jesus entered the world. If you're wondering if this Jesus is worth following, here's what you need to know. Quick to listen, slow to speak, is exactly how Jesus came into the world. When Jesus entered our world, this is exactly what your heavenly Father did for you through Jesus. He sent his Son into the world... As one who could not speak. When Jesus entered the world, he could not speak. He sent him into the world not as a preacher, not as a teacher, not as a prophet, not as an author. He sent his son into the world as a baby who was speechless. Think about that. And for 30 years, he just experienced life, all the sorrow. All the pain, all the disappointment, the funerals, the persecution, uh, watching the dominance of the Roman Empire invade his culture. And for 30 years, he listened. For 30 years, when you read the narrative of Jesus' life, you don't hear a single word from Jesus for the first 30 years. You don't find him out doing incredible things. You know, he's, he listened and he experienced what humans experience. And then after 30 years, he began to speak. And when he spoke, people flocked to him. And the reason that they flocked was this. They felt as though he understood. They felt as though he didn't come to be right at them. He came to be right with them. It wasn't enough for Jesus just to be right. He wanted to be right in relationship. And they were amazed at his teaching because he did not speak to them the way that other teachers did. He spoke as a person who had a different type of authority and they felt understood. And people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. And he liked them back. And he invited them to follow him because he did not come into the world to simply be right. He came to make things right with you and with me. And he didn't come to be right at you. He came because he wanted to be right with you and he wanted you to be right with him. And so he said, oh, whatever, whatever self-rightness you have, you can toss that to the side. It doesn't measure up. And, and you don't even have to be right in any way to come into a relationship with me. But I'm going to make things right with you. And he invited people to follow him, and people followed him because they felt as though he had heard them and that he understood, and he invites you to follow him as well. And so Jesus came into this world, and he came in as a speechless baby without the ability to speak, And for 30 years, he listened. And when he started to speak, it wasn't to be right. It was to make things right. And if you've never said yes to the invitation to follow Jesus, you're invited. And Jesus says, it's not something that you have to behave your way into. You don't earn your way. It's not like, hey, clean up your life. And when you hit a certain point, then we'll talk. Jesus says, I I came to make things right, period. And so Jesus stepped into human history. God in the flesh. And he showed us how to love. And in the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, hundreds and hundreds who claim to have seen him, he rose from the dead. that means death is not the end. There is more to this life than this life. And you have been invited to be in right relationship with God. And if you want to say yes to that, you can just agree with this prayer as we close. God please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you and I thank you that you never walk away from me. And I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter. I want to say yes to that invitation. And I recognize I've done nothing to earn it, but I'm just saying yes because you've invited me and I feel as though you understand where I'm coming from. And so God, help me to put my trust in you, help me to follow you with the way that I live my life each and every day from this moment on as best as I know how. And God, for each of us who are following you, who are putting our trust in you day in and day out, give us the wisdom to know how to apply this. Help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. And help us not to just work at being right at each other. Help us to work at being right with each other. That we would seek to understand where others are coming from so that we could love them well. Commit this week to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.